This is Brie Tartaglione, and you're listening to Brie Undeniably. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode six. Today, I always like to start out with how I'm feeling, but I realize that most times I'm going to be feeling relatively good when I record because I don't believe recording in a negative state of mind would really be the best for me or for you. But also, if I'm sticking with transparency, maybe it would be a big hit. That's not going to be today. I am feeling good today, but who knows? We shall see if in the future, if I have a planned time to record and I'm not in the greatest frame of mind or if I'm in a really stressed frame of mind how that recording would come out I mean it it might be the most beneficial because we'll see how I actually work when I am under pressure of sorts but for now I'm feeling good I'm happy to be here episode six I feel like this is really starting to pick up some momentum I might have said that a little bit last week but what I'm starting to realize, and this is a good barometer of measurement for others who are starting something as well, is you can really tell if you like something and if you want to do something when the external factors are removed. So I'm saying that, and I'll, I'll explain, but I'm saying it because I'm putting a lot of time into this podcast because it's not just recording. I mean, recording might be the, the quickest piece of everything else that has to be done, but there's so much to get done on the back end and with the socials aspect, which is a real big learning curve for me, but learning nevertheless. But there's so much to be done with the socials aspect, the editing aspect, the production aspect in general, the preparation aspect. So I'm putting so much of my extra time really all of my extra time is going into putting this podcast together. And I say remove external factors, meaning money or compensation. Currently, this is not benefiting me in any monetary way. I'm not receiving any type of benefits or payments. This is totally for me. And even though I'm putting all my extra time into it, I'm still loving doing it. And that speaks volumes because if you're trying to put something together and you're finding that you actually are really disliking the process of putting the thing together, then maybe it's not the right thing to do. And this even goes for the other pieces that might not be totally connected to what you're trying to do, but they're part of the process. So just like me in learning how to actively manage several social media accounts and such, like that is not my thing. I'm not loving doing it, but I'm loving learning about it because the outcomes produce a greater outcome for my cause. So really take time to evaluate what you are working on. And if you're not totally at least bought into all of the aspects of the process, then maybe reconsider. Or maybe you can outsource if you do have the means, if you are trying to start something that might need outsourcing. And if you do have the means to do that, then you can outsource those pieces that you really dislike doing. But at the core of it, try to remove those external factors and find out, is the thing that you're doing something that you can really pour yourself into? 
or that you really know, this is kind of and or, that you really know it is going to benefit you in the future. So sometimes, and I know many of my listeners, let's say if you are on a journey of health, you might really not like the new foods that you are eating and trying, but you know that it's really going to benefit you in the future. So if you're putting something together for you, you should be really loving the process. If you're really trying to find that passion that's going to be sustainable for you for your life, you should really be loving the process regardless of if you are getting compensated. If you're doing something that you know is going to better you in your life, you should really be loving the understanding of knowing that this is going to be a really positive impact for you in the future. Those things should help keep you going. And if you raise an eyebrow at one of those things, then evaluate. That's talking to yourself. That is understanding why you may or may not be feeling some sort of way. And it could be really helpful. So going back a few episodes, dialoguing with yourself could be really helpful in an instance like that. But I'm feeling good. I'm loving all of the several hours that I'm putting into this podcast, and I'm looking forward to today's episode. So something I wanted to cover quick in the beginning here is last week, I know I discussed how different psychological processes could happen in tandem, meaning how we spoke on the process of presence and being present can also happen while there are limiting beliefs popping into your head. So processes can happen simultaneously. And what we call that in psychology is comorbid. So comorbid is more for not always psychological processes, but if there are two processes happening in tandem or happening simultaneously, the comorbidity of the two, for example, anxiety and stress are often comorbid with one another because they often involve similar aspects of us. Bringing that to this week's discussion, I want to talk about how processes can also build off of each other and how they can be functions of each other. So something that I think is important to mention, talking about presence, and I received this question a couple times, and so I think it's so important to discuss it here. What's the difference between presence and consciousness? And I thought that was such a great question. And definitely, definitely worth talking about here. Presence is a function of consciousness. So consciousness is the bike and presence is the pedals that pushes the bike forward. So consciousness is the thing and presence is a propeller of the thing. So the function of presence is something that we can implement. We don't implement consciousness. Consciousness is. Consciousness exists within us already. It's not an implementation. It's a natural occurrence of our mind. So presence is a function of consciousness. And I hope that clarifies that question. I I really did. I thought it was such a powerful question and I really wanted to bring that forward here. But it also brings me to talk about how other psychological processes work together. So talking to yourself is a function of presence. And we just talked about how presence is a function of consciousness. And then consciousness breeds an accountability mindset. So if you can see those four things right there, I'm going to repeat it again. Talking to yourself is a function of presence. So with the stay present exercise, 
I talked to myself. I spoke the words stay present to myself, talking to myself as a function of presence. So as a propeller to get me to become present. And then the function of presence is also a function of consciousness. So once I propel myself forward into presence, I can then propel myself forward into consciousness. And then the state of consciousness then breathes an accountability mindset. So if you can see how those all fit together, like a puzzle, really. And again, there are several other psychological processes happening, totally entangled with all of this. I'm just trying to parse out the few that we've talked about so you can understand how they are not linear, but how they can connect linearly so you can understand what is happening step by step. Once we have the ability to breed an accountability mindset, that opens up windows of opportunity to practice therapeutic techniques that will refine that mindset, which is what we're talking about today. We kind of learned last week that accountability to really be what we hope for it to be, to really be used in a way that is going to bring us to the best versions of ourselves, it should become a mindset rather than a decisive function. So rather than a choice to keep yourself accountable, it should actually be a understanding that you will keep yourself accountable. That was the discussion last week, but I even talked about myself how this is a concept that is sticky, that's tough to wrap your mind around. How do you wrap your mind around cultivating a new mindset? It's tough. It is something that takes consistency and effort and time and growth, but eventually you get there. Consistency is huge. I'm not going to go onto my consistency tangent just yet, but consistency is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important for anything you're trying to do in life. Consistency really is key. I mean, that cliche saying is actually so spot on for us to be able to continue to move into the future. But I will talk about consistency in another episode. Today, we are talking about these therapeutic techniques that we can use to refine an accountability mindset or to cultivate an accountability mindset. There are several ways to start building this accountability mindset. Today, I'm going to talk about techniques that I have chosen to call mindful motivation techniques. Obviously, I am talking about them because I know they've been useful in my life, in my processes, in my journey with running, and in my journey with podcasting, and in my journey with fitness, and in several different ways these mindful motivation techniques have really helped me get to that next level and start to cultivate this accountability mindset. So I implement them both often. I'll tell you when and why and what the stories are behind them. But the first one, I couldn't really think of a, a great name for this one. And actually, there, I'm sure that there is a more scientific term for it. But I call it thought flooding. And what you will be doing with this technique is flooding your mind with the singular thought or goal that you're trying to reach. I use thought flooding consistently with my fitness journey. 
very much so. It is probably my top tier technique when I'm running. And it is also, I think I actually started using it and I, I might just not have even realized it until I started running because that's when I started to really be conscious of what I was doing in my head. But I think I actually have started to use it way back in my fitness journey. It might have been a coach of mine or I actually don't know. It could have been a coach. It could have been a friend. It could have been anyone. But whoever it was, I thank you if you're listening somewhere in the world. I thank you for telling me this. Someone once told me when I was trying to do a plank. Now, planking is not my thing. I think doing planks, like that static muscle work is very difficult for me. It is just, I would rather be moving because planking is really, it's you and your thoughts. That's what it is. And, you know, I give this to anyone who is consistently using static mobility work to refine their muscles because it's difficult to just sit there or excuse me to just plank there and think or watch the clock so I was planking and actually I remember who it was and I'm not going to shout them out because I don't have permission but it was a trainer friend so a personal trainer in the gym that I used to go to he worked there and we became friends in the process of me always being there when he was always there training. I happen to always be there when he was typically on a break. We created a friendship and he is one who told me this. And this is what he said. I was planking and complaining. <laughs> I was not ready to do the plank challenge that he had given me. And as I was complaining, yelling his name, actually, this is great that I'm remember this on this talk. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm usually I have my notes all drafted and ready to go, but this is a totally organic story and it, I'm happy I'm thinking of it now. I was planking and saying, I can't do it. It hurts. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. And he yelled back at me louder than I was yelling at him. Anyone can do a minute of anything. And he wasn't listening to me at all. He was completely combating my thoughts with his. So he actually was externally flooding my head with this thought. Anyone can do a minute of anything. And I'm over here thinking this guy. Of course, it's so easy to say because you're standing over me and I'm the one suffering. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But he's yelling louder at me. So he's, I'm yelling, I can't do it. He's yelling back over me. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do a minute of anything. And I started sort of intaking that thought, you know, having being like, what do you mean? I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And he overpowered me with his thoughts. Lo and behold, the minute was up once, <laughs> once he was done yelling at me. The story doesn't end there because the problem was I wasn't just doing one plank. His workout for me, so this trainer friend would work out with me just to help me out. And, you know, he got to refine his skills as a trainer. I got some free training. It was great. So in this ab exercise that he was having me do that day, I wasn't just doing one plank. That was plank number one. But he was having me do 10 one-minute planks with 30-second rest in between. So one-minute plank, 30 seconds down. One-minute plank, 30 seconds down. I thought this guy was crazy. 
but plank number one was certainly the hardest plank that I did of that set of 10. And I'll tell you why. After that, I knew that he was going to hold me accountable. So if you remember last week, I said that coaches like to hold us accountable. Actually, this could have been a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I'm sorry. Talking about how talking to yourself is like becoming your own coach and how we need to become accountable. But coaches are the ones who hold us accountable if we are choosing not to do it ourselves or find it really difficult to do it ourselves, coaches hold us accountable. And in that first plank, this coach, this trainer had to hold me accountable because I had a really difficult time holding myself accountable. I kept saying I couldn't do it. I was very clearly in a fixed mindset. It was so tough for me. I remember. I will not forget. Planks are still tough for me, but I think about them differently now. I think about them in the way that I'm about to explain to you. In that second plank, that 30 seconds was probably the worst 30 seconds of my life because I was anticipating the next nine one-minute planks that I had to do. But in that moment, I knew he was not going to let me not do it. So I had to figure out a way to do it. And I remember thinking, well, if he's telling me anyone can do a minute of anything, one, I don't know if I believe him, but somehow it got me there. Let me try it. So plank number two, he's yelling at me. Anyone can do a minute of anything. I'm planking there trying to think now in my head, anyone can do a minute of anything. But plank number two, I'm going back and forth in my head fluctuating and also yelling at him a little bit, how much it hurts, how much pain I'm in, how difficult it is. But I had flipped my mindset a little bit. I had altered it just enough that I was no longer saying, I can't do this, I won't do this. I was more expressing how difficult it was for me to do this. It doesn't take away the difficulty, but it opens up the realm of possibility that you still can do it, even though it's difficult. So plank number two was still incredibly challenging, but a little less mentally draining. Okay, plank number three, we're getting there. But at this time, I'm physically fatigued. I am physically fatigued after one plank for one minute. I'm at plank number three right now thinking, how am I going to do this? Plank number three happens. This time, I start to say it with him. Anyone can do a minute of anything. Anyone can do a minute of anything. I am so angry at this person who I call my friend, but I start to chant it with him because that's what he's saying. He's my trainer. He's the expert. He knows best. Let me try it. Anyone can do a minute of anything. Anyone can do a minute of anything. This is really tough. Anyone can do a minute of anything. Come on, Brianna. This is really tough. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Anyone can do a minute of anything. So at this time, I'm now actively dialoguing with myself, but also actively battling my thoughts as I'm in plank number three. Fall to the floor. Plank number four. I realized that the only way I'm going to get through this is if me, the thoughts in my head, and this trainer are all on the same page. Or at least that is the path of least resistance. Is if me, my thoughts, and my trainer are all on the same page. So, thought flooding. I did not let myself have another thought other than anyone can do a minute of anything. And when I tell you, trying to say it so articulately here is like a tongue twister. But if you tell yourself that in your head over and over and over and over without pause, 
you don't allow another thought to enter. And if you don't allow another thought to enter, I have completely eliminated the limiting beliefs that my mind was telling me for the previous three planks. It hurts. I can't do it. It's too much. This is terrible. All of those thoughts were entirely eliminated, not because maybe somewhere I wasn't feeling them, but because I needed to get through it and I needed to put those out of my mind to be able to do that. Anyone can do a minute of anything. Anyone can do a minute of anything. Quite honestly, factually, that statement is not 100% true, but it worked in that moment because I had to do a minute of this thing times 10 and me telling me how I felt during that minute was not successful. It was not effective. But me telling me anyone can do a minute of anything back to back to back without allowing another thought to penetrate that singular thought that I kept repeating to myself worked. I did plank five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, completely fatigued, incredibly difficult, but I did it because it was possible, because my body actually could, and it was my mind that couldn't. So I found a way to get my mind to do it. And that was eliminating these thoughts that were preventing it. If you remember back to my first or second episode, I talked about the first time I ran and how I felt my body actually physically fatigued. I had to stop after a half mile because my body was literally shutting down. That didn't happen here. And though, even though this was actually several years ago, this was maybe 2014 or 2015, even though it was several years ago, I knew in those moments that my body could do it. It was, it was my mind. I might not have spun it that way in my head, but I knew that was the case. And I knew that was the case because I also had the expert standing over me saying, you can do this. I know your physical capabilities. I'm going to push you to your limits, but I'm not going to hurt you in the process. So I did have trust in this person who is a trainer and also a friend that this is a capability of mine, but I needed to be able to get there as well. Thought flooding is incredibly effective. Another time that I do this is when I'm running. And this has actually been when I am consciously thought flooding and I'm doing it often. So when I'm running, Every day I run between two to four miles. I usually land about 2.85 to three miles, depending on the run route that I take. Some days I'll do more, some days I'll do less. Some days if it's raining or snowing, I physically I don't have uh, waterproof sneakers, I find another way. Or I just do a strength training workout. But on the days that I can run, I will. And on those days I'll do anywhere between two to four miles. So when I'm running, I find markers. I try to make my markers different every day, but I find markers or benchmarks on my run to reach. And here's how I do it. When I start running, I look in the distance and often in the far distance. And also if you are a runner and you go in the same run route, you know what's in the distance, even if you can't see it. But for me, I usually try to find a marker that's in the distance, but in the far distance. And I do this thing, which 
I'll call it here the get there mentality. And if you haven't guessed already, what I say in my head over and over and over is get there, get there. You can get there. You can do this. Just get there, get there. And I use this mentality when I am starting to feel that fatigue, that mental and that physical fatigue. I'll usually start to feel it around a mile after I'm warmed up. It usually takes me about the first mile to really feel warmed up. And then I'll start using it because for me to get through the first mile at this point is comfortable. That's really sort of, that is my warm up. That's my practice. That is what my body feels comfortable enough doing. No problem at this point. I still get tired. Some days are better than others. You know, this is still a process for me and it's daily. So I have to find a way to do it daily. So usually about after a mile or so, a mile and a half, I start using thought flooding with the get there technique because it delivers on its promise. It gets me there. And I'm not kidding. Once I really start to feel the fatigue, I'll look in the distance and I'll find the farthest spot I can find. And I will use the get there mentality for that whole time. Get there. You got this. Get there. You can do this. Get there. Get there. And then before I know it, I'm there. But way back when I started to implement the get there mentality after mile one, I looked all the way in the distance and I'm like, how am I going to get there? I'm going to get there by saying get there. And it's crazy how effective this technique can be. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, what is holding you back, and this is no surprise, is limiting beliefs. But how do we combat them? How do we actively denounce what is being said to us in our heads? We prove to ourselves that we can do it by telling ourselves we can. That initiates the performance. That quite literally gets us there. If you can flood your thoughts with nothing but the motivation that you need, chances are, unless there is a fixed limitation that's going to hold you back, you're probably going to get there. I would say that thought flooding has been one of the most powerful therapeutic techniques that I have used and implemented in my own personal life to push me past the limits of my mind to achieve the goals I want to achieve. I actually planned on talking about another mindful motivation technique this episode, but I think I'm going to save it because this is actually the technique that I want my listeners to focus on this week and hopefully in years to come. Thought flooding can feel silly. It can feel uncomfortable at first. It can be a tongue twister. And many people might be wondering, how does this actually work? I challenge everyone in the hardest, most difficult possible moment in whatever it is that you're doing, I challenge you to thought flood. I challenge you to use the get there mentality or the anyone could do a minute of anything saying or whatever saying pairs with what you're doing and you can repeat to block out all the other noise. I'm really excited to talk about the other mindful motivation technique, and I promise I'll get to it, but we're going to cap it here for now because 
I don't want to take away the power of this process. Thought flooding is really cool because it can become your mantra. If you don't have a mantra or if you have been searching for one, try to find what works for you in the hardest, most difficult time of whatever it is that you're working on. And refine that saying to become something that really speaks to you. And then really speak it to yourself. Really offer yourself nothing but the power of that thought. And I guarantee you will be able to push yourself farther than you've been able to before. Until next time, let this be the moment. We'll talk soon. I am Brie Tartaglione. This is Brie Undeniably. Thanks for listening.